Welcome to Hollywood on Gag, the Cassie and Andor of Political Podcast. Season 4, Episode 6. I am your host, David McClement, broadcasting from the Blantyre Free State. And joining me this evening is my eternal comrade, Mulgay's digital Michelangelo, Deborah Torrance. Hi, Deborah. Hello. Hello. How are you doing? And the third member of this evening's triumvirate is our first elected representative to appear in Hollywood at South Lanarkshire Councillor, Carl Johnson Dempsey. Carl, welcome to Hollywood. No, good to be here. Great, great to have you. Just for all the listeners, we're recording this on the Monday night. Um, we may, so good chance by the time you listen, we'll know about the court case on Wednesday, about the independence referendum. So we don't know what's happening with that yet. So just thought I'd mention that in case, in case you're all sitting listening saying, why are they not talking about this? This is huge. But um, that's why. Any predictions about that before we get started? Cal, you go first. You're the first. Oh. You're the first. You're the guest. <laughs> no, I mean, um, I, I quite liked some of the the statements. I'm I'm one of those folk that will actually sit and read the whole document. Um, so the Lord Advocate's uh, reference was had some quite uh, interesting arguments in it. One that I think was quite cheeky was that uh, the Act uh, says you can't make laws relating to the kingdoms of Scotland and England. And her argument in that was that. Uh, those kingdoms have been superseded by the Kingdom of Great Britain and then the Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. I don't know, I think that one was a bit funny, a bit tongue-in-cheek. Do you think it's going to go our way? Oh, I don't know. It it very much could go either way. Sitting in the fence. (laughs) Deborah, what do you think? I'm just glad we're not talking about it because I think everybody's a bit stressed out about it. (laughs) Every time somebody mentions it, I'm like, oh, well. What will be, will be. At least, will at least know. <laughs> I am I not sure. I'm not sure what will panic me more if we win it or if we lose it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> suddenly, suddenly, the referendum will seem very real and very close. I think if um, it comes in our favour. Well, I think you're. I think you're right, Cal. I think it could go either way. Like I think the hoping is is that common sense prevails and the judicial system is fair. We live in the UK, so I don't know. <laughs> I, I really I don't know. No idea. Um, I was talking to, I saw Connor talking about it, Connor Beaton, that's been on Hollywood, and he was down there for part of the court case. And some of the people he's speaking to, they seem to think that the fact that it's coming back quite fast, I think he initially was told that it wouldn't come back to well into December. So he's a bit pessimistic that it's coming back so quickly. So. Yes, we'll just need to wait and see. Uh, has anybody got any, been up to anything at the weekend you want to talk about? Deborah, how's the new puppy set on her? Um, she's all right. She's a terror. She's absolutely adorable and she knows it. And she gets away with murder and is spoiled. I'd, she's like a toddler. I'm sorry to refer to my dog like a child, <laughs> David. <laughs> I know you have actual children, but um, yeah, it's uh, it's hard work. <laughs> but I love her. She's great, great company, and good for Mama. Ma Ma Wayne's here. Um, she's underneath the blanket with me ah! here on the couch. Is that Arwen? Ah, uh, is indeed Arwen. Yes. <laughs> see, is I it, do my research, that, and I'll get a guest coming on. I can't see. Oh, baby puppy! Hello. Oh, you are beautiful. Ah. I would show you my terror, but uh, she's been distracted by Jeannie with some chopped pork. So. <laughs> <laughs> As always the case. Um, I, I, I feel like kind of rubbish weekend. Like, I just been, feel as if I've been taking my wings and running to different classes and clubs and no doing anything fun for me, but they've had a great thing. So happy for them. I'm uh, now vaxxed to the max. Today had my my COVID jag and my flu jab. I'll do a jab and jag and sit in the fence again there with that one. Is that number three or number four? Number four for myself. Um, Yeah. Drink plenty of water. Yeah, I've been told. (laughs) (laughs) And don't let MD punch you now. Aye. (laughs) Uh, I mind we done that when we got BCGs. That was awful. I hope children don't still do that. Well, I I don't think they get the BCG anymore, so that's solved that problem. Well then, look at them. <laughs> Although I could never understand why they'd done away with the BCG, just to, just as tuberculosis was coming back. So 
poor timing there. Anyway, let's get on gagged. Our first topic this evening, Eton College has apologised after it, it was claimed girls visiting from a nearby state school were subjected to misogynistic language and racial slurs. The school told the BBC a number of pupils had been sanctioned after an investigation following an incident during a speech by Nigel Farage. The college said it had apologised unreservedly for the totally unacceptable behaviour. Deborah, you want to go first? Well, seeing as my ex went all through her life in the private education, I just think private education should be banned. It doesn't actually offer much <laughs> other than some sort of status symbol um, and might get you an interview and a job that you're not qualified to do. Um, <laughs> I think that the other factor in this is why was Nigel Farage speaking at a school? Like it's just like taking the tobacco and alcohol lobby. You talk to Wayne's. What is what sort of young minds are they shaping in Eton? Let's have a guess. People like Boris Johnson. Who else has been there? I did have a list, but uh, David Cameron. David Cameron. It was other Tory. Like just. Bams, really? Like, do, I'd, I've not got much else to say about them. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't rate private education in any way, shape, or form. I don't think it offers elevation to anything. I don't think that. I think it's like anything capitalist that they pay, they pay to get further in life. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, have you ever actually tried to boo, MD? Like, actually tried just going boo? Like, how can you do that without laughing at yourself? Hmm. But, I mean, with regards to the, the racial slurs and the misogynistic behaviour, yeah. I'm, I'm not particularly surprised, to be honest. Exactly. I mean, it's quite civil compared to you know, stories we've heard about, you know, former PMs, Boris, David Cameron. Private schools in general only really exist, like you said, Deborah, to reinforce that, that, that class divide and... You know, a large element of class divide is, is race. I find it quite weird that we've not heard anything after that article come out from the state school, you know, saying, like, you know, what their position was there. And I don't know, it's just that one that one parent online that was anonymous, I believe. But yeah, I didn't, I didn't actually know there were still state all-girls schools. That's quite a, an odd as well, I think. I was not aware of that, actually. Now that you mention it, I was not aware of that. This is how we get to the stage where we're being ruled by these kind of upper-class incompetence. You know, the rot sets in early, and it's at these kind of places. It's like it's like an ecosystem designed to create sociopaths. You know, like, what kind of mindset is that? Is, you know, another school? In, well, in saying that, I can imagine booing another school if you came to visit. But I don't think I'd be booing them because I thought they were poor or because they, I thought they were beneath me. You know, you're right what you're saying. You know, there's no mention that. The other schools no commented. It's only came out because a, a parent has set up a um, anonymous Twitter account. And they mentioned for eating the what these sanctions are. They, you know, they never said suspension, which I think I heard a lot of people uh, repeating online that pupils have been suspended. I think that was just because they misread the the wording. Sanction to me. I mean, what's that? Is, is, is a butler banned for an afternoon? Points after house. That's what it is. They get very stern. Don't do it again. Don't do it in public. Don't do it in public. Well, Deborah, I think you're right. I think that's probably a bit closer to it. You've got to think, was there not teachers present when this was happening? Did did none of them step in at the time? It just just displays the environment these young people are being moulded in. And as I said, the product is Boris Johnson, who goes about uh, writing news articles that are deeply offensive and racist. I'm not going to repeat them, but you yeah. know you know what he said. Everybody knows what he said. And that was just, oh, jolly, jolly public schoolboy behaviour. Like, and it's disgusting. And I feel really sorry for the uh, state school children that went there because 
they probably were thinking, oh, we're going to Eton. This is, you know, maybe quite exciting for them. Maybe they were hoping they could get into some sort of Oxbridge College or something through. I don't know, but mm-hmm. I, I just, I, I feel horrible. Horrible for the fact that they go and, if they were going to see Nigel Farage, had to listen to that bollocks or not. I mean, what is that about? Why Why is Nigel Farage been invited to schools to speak? And any of the news coverage as well, reading about this, I never read any mention or comment of, you know, is it appropriate that somebody who I think most people consider to be a racist was like some kind of fetid, you know, speaker, not just in front of any school, but in front of the school that shapes, you know, for better or worse, the next generation of uh, leaders in uh, Britain. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't in the BBC article, but I did notice in the Guardian, um, it said that apparently the Eton boys had cheered Farage's worst comments on migrants and COVID. So spreading that whole, you know, the foreigners are bringing out the virus sort oh. of thing. And just leaning into that whole far right cheering on type, you know, anti COVID stuff as well, you know. Absolutely. I mean, it, it, it was, it doesn't feel like, I don't, I remember, I mean, I'm not that old, but I remember when Farage was like this right-wing prank that was barely higher up the ladder than the like the Nick Griffin and the BNP, and went and now he's what getting treated as if he's some statesman. The guy's never been elected to anything in his life. Mind, he's exactly influenced by like appealing to the worst aspects of human nature, and we're letting him talk to kids. Mind he came to Scotland, the um, Edinburgh, and got chased into a pub. Yeah, you know that but... twice. That not happened twice then. <laughs> I think, it, I think it happened once on the Royal Mile and then once uh, didn't it, the uh, Corn Exchange in Edinburgh. <laughs> was, it, was it Scotland to get hit with the milkshake? Or was that somewhere else? Oh, I don't know. I remember it was hit with a milkshake. I, I really enjoyed it. I like I like his, as a Scot to take credit for that, but maybe, maybe it was somebody else. Whoever it was, well done. We'll take credit for it anyway. My milkshake uh, brings all the fish to the yard. Oops, I spilled it in your face. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think there's anywhere to go after that one. Well, Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Always ending a song. I wonder if there's going to be much traction in this story or if it's just, I get the feeling that this will be it. It'll, it'll just be slowly sort of pushed to the side and it'll be chip paper in a couple of days. Yeah. I did see um, an, an unexpected comrade, Carol Vorderman, out there saying that anyone who'd been eaten should be banned from public office for life. Yeah. Which might have some merit to it. Comrade Carol. Um, <laughs> yeah, I can't remember. She spoke out in something else recently, and it was like people were drawing comparisons between her and Rachel Riley, the, the sort of numbers person in Countdown. Yeah. You know, Rachel Riley being quite right wing and anti Corbyn compared to Carol Borderman. And I, I wish I could remember what the issue was, but, you know, she's backing it up where anti Eaton stands. So good on her. Yeah, I, th- I think. You'd maybe hope that it would bring some light to the the status of these schools as charities, you know? Oh, yeah. Basically, when they were set up, they were set up as charities, and the idea was it was poor wains that would go to them. That's why they're called public schools, because at the time, you know, private schools were more elitist, apparently. You know, and, like, I know uh, Eaton in particular was set up by one of the King Henrys. I can't remember which number. Um, specifically for poor boys. <laughs> um and the way it works today is obviously they give away a certain number of scholarships each year, you know. So then they can say each one of those scholarships is a, a 40k a year charitable act, which means that they, you know, they're on the exchequer in terms of VAT about, I think it was, sorry, I don't want to say the wrong figure, um, about 3 billion a year, you know, just because they're, they're charities and not private entities, yeah. private schools, you know. I, and I know we're talking about the autumn statement later, but. Uh, no VAT on private school fees. Is that what you're talking about there, Cal? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and what did you say the figure was? Apparently um, $3 billion. Wow. Yeah. And I'm they're charging at... 40 grand a year for each student, so they're not skint, are they? Yeah. Uh, see, I, I know in Scotland that the, the Scottish government is has either recently or is planning to use its powers, um, uh, devolve powers of education and charity law, to remove that status, which obviously, you know, will be good up here. Uh, but I don't know how that works in terms of uh, VAT because obviously VAT doesn't come to us. Yeah, every time that gets raised, 
and hear somebody saying, well, well, if that's what you want, but what will happen is these schools will just shut down. And I just keep thinking, oh, well, what's the problem? <laughs> they shut down. Suddenly other rich folks, kids will be going to the local, uh, the local comprehensive and suddenly the rich and powerful will actually have a, a stake in making the state schools really good. I don't see where we lose there. Absolutely. So, anyone get any other comments they want to make before we move on? Just abolish private education. Paid for. Hashtag. Free education for all. Okay, Jeremy Hunt's grim autumn statement to Parliament on the 17th of November sought to address a 54 billion black hole in Britain's public finances by introducing 24 billion in tax rates and 30 billion in spending cuts. It was described as a farewell note to Trussonomics after Quasi Quatang's mini budget that um, led to a financial spiral and the end of Prime Minister Liz Truss. So, Cal, he says that you're somebody that likes to get into the details and read them, read, read the full document. Did you manage to get through all this? Because it was fairly sizable. You know something? You've actually chosen one of the worst weeks to have me on. Because between the, the lag of having my vaccinations today, uh, I've also been quite out of the news cycle. Um, I did my best to have a wee read of it. And, um, you know, I think the, the word you used there, grim, is quite accurate. You know, this is the, the tightening and this is, is comparable only really in recent memory to George Osborne's austerity at the start of the last decade. You know, it's the, the OBR, the Office of Budget Responsibility, are predicting a 7% fall in living standards. And even the, the announced rate of inflation um, is patently false. You know, inflation's running at 11.1%, which is a 41-year high in itself, but even that doesn't really cover the fact that for poorer folk, we're talking at 12.5%. Because those households are more likely to spend more of their income on, you know, basic food items and things like that that are going up at an even higher percent. Bring in on top of that the energy, it's still one of the factors affecting people most. I've got I've made notes. <laughs> uh, Cornwall Insight suggests that the energy price cap could be as high as over three thousand seven hundred pounds next year. Three thousand seven hundred pounds. Now I know I can't afford that. You know, uh, we also get charities calling for social uh, power tariffs. So that the idea being that we set a lower rate that folk on benefits or on the lower side of income, you know, that they have a lower tariff themselves. Which you know, I think there's a there's a lot to be said for that. And I did also see that the UK government aren't even going to look at helping folk insulate their homes until 2025. Now I don't know who can wait three years for that. Ah, it's grim. Grim is the only way to describe this. Deborah? Uh, it's depressing, isn't it? And on the flip side, there's some Tories who think this is uh, too socialist and it's the end of conservatism. <laughs> like, have you seen some of those uh, comments? It's ridiculous. It's that Overton window, like you're saying uh, all the time, David. Um, I'd, I can't agree with you enough, Cal. I think that the lowest earners and people on benefits are going to be impacted the most. There's people on zero-hour contracts. The aspects of the autumn statement uh, said that they're going to be like 10% increases in benefits. But benefits have been so low for so long, been totally stagnant. So 10% is somebody on, I don't know, employment and support allowance getting a £100 a week. That's only a tenner extra. And yet the electricity costs, my rent myself went up 46.5% just before the rent freezes came in effect. Absolute scunner. We got those £66 off our electricity bills recently, but uh, folk who are on prepayment meters, they can't just stop paying because they end up getting a, a, they've got a standing rate. So we don't pay by direct debit, but for some reason, our bills just jumped up, even though we're in a fixed rate tariff. And I think it's just because my ma's turned up the heating and our house isn't very well insulated. So <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what we're going to do. Uh, I think that the overall budget is is no great. They're just borrowing money. That means and like like they're trying to ease the market, they're trying to please the markets, aren't they? That's basically all they're trying to do. They're trying to stabilise that and they don't give a fuck about anybody living there in this 
situation that we're in. And the situation we're in has been caused by just continuous Tory austerity for the past 12 years. And it's so depressing. It's absolutely scunnering and depressing. How are you feeling about it, Dave? Um, I was kind of going through some of it, and, and I mean, this is clearly why they do it, but it was really, really, you know, before it, they were really kind of laying the groundwork. You know, this is going to be really bad. This is going to be a really heavy budget. And, you know, so the expectations were, you know, really low. So I actually found myself being a bit relieved when I was reading some of the detail because there was some wee positive bits. Um, you know, like, you know, talking about like public spending, you know, the, the rate of spending has got to go down a bit, but it is still going to be an increase. And, you know, but, but then they're talking about efficiencies on top of that. And that might be fine and you know, if we've just come out of a really good period. But the NHS is in its arse because we're at yeah. 12 years of austerity. It was already struggling before COVID hit it. The last thing they should be turning around and saying, well, we need to find a way of saving a bit more money, being a bit more efficient. You know, it needs massive investment now. You know, this budget might have been okay in a kind of a great a great period in a night, a good time when everything was going great. But it's you know it's not good enough for what what is needed at the moment. Yeah. You know the NHS needs support. You know it doesn't need to be told it needs to do better. It needs massive investment. You know I'm saying though some positives. Minimum wage is going up to ten forty an hour, so it's getting a bit closer to the living wage, which is ten ninety. But then it's not till next April, so I imagine the living wage will probably be a bit higher than that. So again, it's a bit of kind of smoke mirrors. For in the real world, these increases are really just pennies. Like it's not enough. Whereas the <laughs> to the billionaires and the bankers and all them moaning about what's happening in the other end of the the tax scale, it's negligible to them because they've been doing so well. While the rest of us have been doing worse and worse and worse, and the disparity between the richest and poorer has been growing greater and greater and greater. So this is just, this is piecemeal. It's, it's crumbs. It's, it's nothing. And it's exactly as you said, David, it's, they've done that thing. What is it you call it? The dead cat. It's, yeah. it's, they announced something's really awful in this box as a dead cat and you open it up and it's not a dead cat, but... It's a really sick cat. A really sick cat. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think the thing you're saying there about, about the national insurance, uh, sorry, national national minimum wage going up, yeah, that's welcome. Of course it is, um, but it's also still not in line with inflation. Mm-hmm. And you know, you also got to think about the way that the national minimum wage is set up. It's a bloody joke. It's there's institutionalized and legalized discrimination against young workers. Young meaning under the age of twenty three, which could be people with two veins in a house. You know, <laughs> working on. Um, I don't know about the new rate, but under the old rate, that's £4.80 odds, you know, an hour. And there's also, you know, the financial mismanagement. Um, now I'm, I'm not an economist, right, but I, I feel confident in, in putting that, that term on it, of putting higher taxation on electricity generation than there is on oil and gas. You know, at a time when we're trying to wean ourselves off the oil and gas, which is not just bad for the environment, but also, you know, when we're when we're an oil and gas using society, or a society that's more reliant on foreign powers such as Russia. So there's you know there's a, there's a global aspect to it as well. But they've got a lot of friends in oil and gas, and you've got a lot of friends in oil and gas. You want to keep your friends happy. You know, it's it is outrageous. There was a bit I saw as well about starting to increase road tax on electric vehicles, you know, which seems a bit kind of backwards compared to what we're trying to do. You know, like, you know, taxes aren't just about raising money, it's about encouraging certain behaviours. And, you know, we're we're trying to decarbonise, so let's move a bit towards electric cars and away from oil and gas. But, you know, where's the incentive if you're now starting to, you know, road tax them? Maybe it's not at a similar level, but I'm sure it will be eventually. Um, was the tax, or there was a specific tax, I'm sorry, as I said, my dug ate my notes, um, <laughs> the, on 
solar panels on uh, solar farms. I didn't quite see that, but, but quite possibly. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty, there is a lot of details, so there's plenty, I'm sure there's plenty that we on that. That might have been the trust budget I'm thinking of. There's been so many. <laughs> Too yeah. many prime ministers and chancellors. <laughs> I thought it, it kind of showed you their, their kind of priorities and stuff now as well. When they have, you know, committed to making sure they keep, keep the NATO target of 2% defence spending, but they're no living up to their commitment to 0.7% of overseas aid budget, you know. So money to kill people, but no money to help people. That's Quite a lot of the budget as well. Um, the kind of headlines of more money for this, more money for that. They're talking about cash terms and ignoring the real terms, you know. Um, for example, the additional 1.5 billion for Scotland, um, for the Scottish budget, which sounds great until you hear that in, you know, accounting for inflation, we've lost 1.7 billion since the last budget was set. So it's a real terms cut, and I, I hear what you're saying there, David, about you know putting more money in the hands of like, nurses, teachers, bin men, you know, public workers who deserve it. All workers deserve it, and I, I don't think there's anyone really of the working class right now who would say, "I, I'm, I'm sitting pretty. I, I'm, you know, I'm happy where I am. I'm, I'm getting enough." But you know, when they're squeezing and tightening on us, there's, there's a, there's a point at which you go. There's nothing else to give. There's nothing else to cut or squeeze or reprioritize. We just don't have the money. And I, I, I sorry, you've just changed your your picture there to a, a smiling cat, and I absolutely love it there, David. Sorry, it was my my bit of my webcam <laughs> just stopped working for a second. <laughs> <laughs> you absolutely threw me with that one there. Sorry. Um, yeah, no, sorry. Is is there tightening budget? Uh, are there tightening our budget? Um, at the Scottish government, and then that's coming down to uh, like people like myself at the council. Um, at a point we've got we've got nowhere to go, and really there just has to be greater spending. And I, I heard what you said there about about borrowing, Deborah. But borrowing in itself isn't a bad thing when it's used for the right things. Yeah. And right now we've got people that are struggling to feed themselves, to feed their kids. I can back to the word grim. No, you're absolutely right, and you touched on a, a wee point there about uh, charities. Um, uh, we had a cost of living event uh, over in Western Bartonshire and see the charities themselves that are supporting the most vulnerable in society, they are facing cuts and costs rising like exponentially and they're starting to struggle. So if the people who are basically propping up our communities and having difficulty meeting costs I can imagine the council who are responsible for their health and social care eh, for the education for all the roads for all the their assets and buildings that are in you know communities right across the place I understand you are also suffering and struggling and it's it's not fair and it is it's it's through mismanagement and my my thing about borrowing it wasn't a like it wasn't it? Oh, we can't borrow. We can't borrow. It was exactly as you say. It's because they're borrowing for the wrong reasons. They're borrowing just to please the markets, to try and stabilise bankers and the, I don't know all that stupid economic stuff that's right above my head. Right, we'll move on now. So before we move on to our next agenda item, I think we'll have a word from our sponsor. Our sponsor this week is Sense of Nature Pet Service, based in Central Scotland. Sense of Nature gives you a hands-on, personalised experience with a variety of exciting creatures. From snakes and skunks to tarantulas and turtles, Sense of Nature has something for everyone. They offer sensory sessions, one-to-one in group sessions, educational encounters for children of all ages, and they are available for private events upon inquiry. Animal welfare is at the forefront of everything they do, and if appropriate, a risk assessment can be carried out at no additional cost prior to your booking. To get 5% off your next booking with Sense of Nature, quote Holyrood Unguide 5 at time of booking. To contact Sense of Nature, you can do so by email on sense.of.natureinquiries at outlook.com. You can also find them on most social media platforms by searching for Sense of Nature.
Okay, next item on the agenda. Stephen Fry has alienated much of the trans community after saying he doesn't want to condemn J.K. Rowling for her views. I'm aware that you're talking about an issue where two sides are very sore and very anxious about their enemies, he said. I can't bear it. Mr. Fry, who narrated the Harry Potter audiobook, said he would love to see an end to the argument, adding that he didn't think there could be a winner. I know that J.K. Rowling doesn't want to see trans people bullied, alienated, shut out of society, or made to feel ashamed, guilty, or laughed at. It's not an argument I want to get involved in because it's upsetting to both sides. Deborah. Mr. Stephen Fry, so eloquent and witty and yet such a dweeb. How can he be so proud and out and all the rest of it and just sit in the fence about this? I know he's pals with J.K. Rowling he was in the movie and all that, but that's just part of his entitlement. It's crap. I think he's just, he's, he's shattered as far as I'm concerned because he doesn't want to lose fans and he doesn't want to become an enemy of J.K. Rowling because she might set her uh, fandom on him. I don't know, it's just it's a load of shite. You should listen to the younger generation that were in the movie with him. He was in that movie, wasn't he? The, I think he was a small part from the movie, though. I've not watched them all. Exactly, vehemently anti-Harry Potter podcast. I believe he's the voice of the audiobooks. Is that what it is? Yeah. I thought he was some sort of He quite possibly professor. was. I've not seen them in a long time. <laughs> in the back of my mind, I'm, I'm wondering if he was a ghost. But I might get mixed up because I know there was other cameos. Maybe somebody else. One of the ghosts. Mm. Personally, I, I place very little importance on the opinions of celebrities. But, you know, I accept that uh, a lot of times they can bring, you know, they can bring light to certain issues. Um I don't really care what he thinks. I get it, it can be quite hard to call it your mates sometimes, uh, but you know that difficulty doesn't mean you get away with it when you don't call them it. You know, um, I also like kind of draw parallels with um, the Scottish government's recent. I don't know if any, if either of you have seen it, the "Don't Be That Guy" campaign. Oh. You know, the, it's a it's an ad that's running around TV and social media, and you know it says that you know you should call it your mates on like low level like misogynistic behaviour because those things kind of feed into like rape culture and, and that and you know things that would otherwise get chalked up to banter and I think there's also the kind of kind of thing of like if maybe a couple of decades ago he'd went Joe you know don't be that person you know maybe that would have just kind of nipped her in the bud then but what we've got now is it's, it's kind of became you know her personality online and in many ways, personality of other people. I think it kind of gives us all the, you know, the we should be reminded to when we see things like that for impulse, just kind of get them to help. Um, but also a bit at the end of, you know, I know JK Rowling right? doesn't want to see this or that. I don't believe that. I just don't believe that for a second. I believe that is what she wants to see. Yeah, I mean, like you said, like, you know, it can be kind of awkward sometimes pulling up one of your friends, like they come out with a kind of tall joke. I don't know what you call it when your friend becomes the figurehead of a global hate campaign that's like at another level. Um, this sounds quite pretentious, but all through it, the only thing I could, I kept thinking of this quote, I had to look up because I couldn't quite remember it. Uh, and it's by Desmond Tutu, and he said, if you're neutral in, in situations of injustice, You've chosen the side of the oppressor. If an elephant has its foot in the tail of a mouse and you say that you're neutral, the mouse will not appreciate your neutrality. And that's what he's doing here. He's, he's staying neutral in a fight between uh, a community that is one of the most excluded in, in society against a billionaire, a literal billionaire. And if you're going to stay neutral in that argument, then you're no, you're no neutral at all. You're siding with the, the powerful. And that's what he's doing here. And... I don't want to ever go with Stephen Fry. I really like Stephen Fry. Like, I think he's really funny. I used to love watching QI when he pre presented it. Um, I even remember as a wee boy watching, you know, like his stuff with Hugh Laurie that I probably was too young to be watching. Um, so, I, I mean, I do wonder. I know he spoke a lot about his mental health issues and sometimes, like, he quit Twitter a few times over quite innocuous comments because, you know, he... It was just in a place where he was struggling with any kind of negativity. So I don't know if that's playing into all of this, but I don't want to kind of 
wetmises mental health either way in the issue. But he's he's just accepting the gender critical folk from you know face value. You know, there's a gap between what they say and what their actions suggest. They claim they don't have a problem with trans people, you know, that they have the right to exist, but they then go out their way to make it harder for them to love any aspect of their life. So you can't just judge them on their their comments. You need to judge them in their actions and you know, despite what are the gender critical people come out with, they very much do have a problem with um, trans people. We saw a quite hideous example uh, recently where uh, with a shooting in the gay club and the LGB align, the claim to stand up for LGBT people and not be against trans people, tweeted solidarity with lesbian, gay and bisexual people involved. Deliberately, they couldn't even bring themselves to say, I'm sorry, somebody you know, try to kill you. You know, it's that's just it's, it's horrible and you know, I don't have as much as I like Stephen Fry, I don't have much sympathy for him when he's willing to kinda I think use the Deborah. He's willing to use his privilege that means he'll probably not have to deal with a lot of this, but other people will. That's absolutely shocking. I actually hadn't seen that. Quite I'm quite lucky that I don't get to see a lot of the LGB alliance tweets. But no, that's absolutely shocking. Yeah, it's solidarity. Uh, to anybody affected by that terrible shit. Uh, our final topic this evening is Labour has announced that they will abolish the House of Lords and replace it with a new reformed upper second chamber. Uh, Sir Keir Starmer told Labour peers that he wanted to strip politicians of the power to appoint people to the chamber in the first term of a Labour government. He said that the Tory leaders have handled, handed peerages and lackeys to lackeys and donors. And they are expected to confirm this in its next manifesto. Well, this was a bit of a progressive shock out the blue. Cal, what were your thoughts on that? Out the blue is a really good way of describing it. Um, I don't think that there'll be many ungagged listeners who aren't in favour of that. You know, personally, I don't think there's any place for hereditary power in the 21st century uh, in government. But, uh, you know, to an extent, Labour already accepted that when they removed. Uh, sorry, when they reformed the House of Lords when they uh, were last in power to remove the majority of hereditary peers and limit the number of them and to make all new, all new Lords life peers. Where I think there's a bit more debate is those life peers, because I know a lot of folk think that they bring you know, some sort of expertise in terms of like business or medicine or law or you know a whole bunch of other sectors. And you know I think... I think we can all agree that, that it's important to have that breadth of experience when our lawmakers, it's just, I would argue that the way you do that is by getting folk on the ballot that have got that experience. You know, the situation we have the now is that parties are able to stuff the Lord's way, you know, donors, mates of the PM, friendly journalists, and the people will receive £300 a, a day for the rest of their life, plus expenses. Aye. I, 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 but I've also got a bit of, I believe it when I see it, you know. Labour under Keir Starmer I don't have a good record of, you know, representing the views of their members, of sticking to what they said in manifestos. But, uh, aye, welcome move. Deborah? Aye, Sir Keir Starmer. Uh, oh, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Give him his full title. He just wants you to get uh, knighted by the king. Um, I'd instead of being a peer, I don't know. I'd Labour have got one hundred and seventy-three peers just now. Uh, Conservatives have got two hundred and sixty-seven, and there's one hundred and eighty-five crossbench. Uh, Lib Dems have got eighty-three. I think Greens have got two. The, the Green Party of England and Wales. Oh, England and Wales, yes. Out. Yeah, sorry, I forgot about your uh, motion at Contras. <laughs> um, I just, um, as you say, I believe it when I see it. Uh, is that no what Labour wanted to say in 1928? I was uh, Googling, seeing a really cool poster, an old Labour poster, and it was uh, all the workers in their wee tammies breaking down the doors of the House of Lords. I liked it. And then, as you say, Gordon Brown, was it that done the reform? An elected second chamber, that's what it should be. No, this nonsense. Also, uh, hereditary peers still can they be passed to women, can they? Or did they reform that? Any of know? I don't know, uh, sorry. I, well, I think, I don't think the hereditary peers are in the House of Lords. So it's a kind of separate issue. Like it's, 
there is there is actually a certain number of hereditary peers. Actually, I remember, oh God, I remember seeing the most recent election to the House of Lords because there are elections to the House of Lords for oh. hereditary peers. Just the only folk that can vote are the other hereditary peers. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Democracy manifest. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, it's a, it's a stupid situation. Um, we, obviously, in the SNP, we don't nominate people to be made peers. Um, that's a principle their party's had uh, since it was formed, one that I personally support. And I know uh, there's one played Cymru, Lord. That was the other one. Yeah, and, um, yeah, two, who, actually, their party affiliation is just stated as Green Party. So I think the Green Party of England and Wales have kind of determined that they are the main one. <laughs> Yeah, that's not something that English-based parties do at all. Regularly. No, not at all. You know, I mean, the House of Lords, it's just a joke for so many reasons. One, one of which that always bothered me is, you know, they've got 784 split members, which wow. is too many to even fit in their chamber. And I think that's actually historically lower than it's been. I'm sure it's spiralled way higher than that, I think. I don't know if this is taking into account the ones that were named recently, but... Boris Johnson when he left, where they've all been delayed because they don't want to trigger violation. And it is, you know, it's an anachronism that should have been gone long ago. Um, you know, I, I was trying to find that thing you were talking about, Deborah, because I'm sure Labour did the historical commitment to abolish the House of Lords going back, you know, a century, but I, I, I was struggling to actually find details on it. It was just that poster I seen because you know I love a, mm-hmm. a good historic poster. But, um, so, yeah, really great to hear Labour want to do this, but we've heard it before. Um, you know, in '97 they made a big deal about. Don't know if they avoided using the word abolish, but you know they were going to reform the House of Lords, and then they watered it down and watered it down, and I think it was Gordon Brown eventually that implemented it. You know, after they've been in. They've been in power for over a decade before they get round to it, and I just don't have much faith. You know who would who who would trust anything Pierce Starmer says? He's been shown to be an outright liar that will say anything uh, for political to, to further his political agenda. Uh, and and let's not forget if Labour if there was a medical snap general election and Labour did get any power that. Keir Stammers already says he's not going to change much other than just a little bit less worse than the Tories. It's, he still, his aim is to no rejoin Europe, uh, to keep most of the austerity measures. He doesn't want to reverse any of that uh, because he doesn't want to upset the markets. And this is the problem with being part of this United Kingdom is that everything is focused towards some sort of bravado Instead of saying, you know what, we're absolutely skint and we're struggling, <laughs> they're like going to settle the markets and make sure everything's okay, best of British stuff up or lip. It's really fucking annoying. Sorry, I just had to get that out because it's been pent up inside me all day while I've been reading about this. <laughs> um, the government released a statement in response to this. Sorry, it wasn't a statement, it was a government source. Somebody whispered it to a journalist. Oh, they said that... This proposal risked undermining the union of the United Kingdom. There's another good reason for it. Yes. Um, they said a second chamber of politicians with their own elected mandate would invariably clash with the House of Commons and other devolved chambers. Legislative gridlock and confused mandates would make it harder for parliamentarians to deliver commitments to the constituent. Well, other countries seem to manage okay. You know, like, you know, it's not as if this is some weird thing to have to like a second elected chamber. I think it's probably more common than certainly more common than the UK setup. It's it's not weird at all. And I think I think actually there's something to be said about representation, you know? Like in the current setup of the Scottish Parliament, if you don't like your constituency MSP, you know, you can try one of your regional ones because we've got a unicameral parliament, so you know that's only one chamber, but there are other people that can represent you. You know, in our councils, if you live in Bolvo and Odinson and you don't like me, for example, there's a Tory and a Labour councillor who can represent you. And yeah, internationally, like, like you said, in the US, if you don't like your congressional rep, but it represents you in their lower house, you can go try one of your two senators that represent your state, you know? Um, but in the UK Parliament, if you don't like your MP, you can try your luck writing to any one of 
would you say, 780-odd words. Yep. And you know, none of them have got a duty to write you back because you're not their constituent. Nobody's their constituent. Yeah, so for, for example, if your MP was like disappeared onto a reality show in the Australian jungle, for example. Um, in that really unlikely circumstance, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, and that crazy never out there scenario that, you know... <laughs> yeah, you kind of touched there about representation. That's one of my pet peeves is that we don't... Like, it's not popular to say we need more politicians, but it's not so much that we need more politicians, we need more representatives. You know, we have a small number of local councils compared to uh, the size of the country and the population compared to a lot of other countries that would have. So Lanarkshire, a local council that's made up of about 300,000 people. Um, it doesn't feel very local in that sense. Yeah. Uh, you've also got, you know, a relatively small, small number of parliamentarians. Like in the Scottish Parliament's quite a small parliament. I think there is... I remember looking it up once, and I think we were like the second bottom in Europe in terms of number of elected representatives in Parliament per in a population. And so, seven hundred eighty-four elected members that are really just there for the gravy train. You know, I'd much rather have seven hundred eighty-four politicians elected to do the job properly that we can get that we can vote out if we don't think they are doing the job. You know, what we're we supposed to do if we're not happy with whatever Lord is sitting in them. I didn't think that the policy announcement was that radical. Like when they said that, I was just like, oh, that should happen anyway. I think uh, electoral reform would have been a much more radical thing for Labour to uh, promise, and that could have been a real threat to Scottish independence because that could have been something that could have been reflected upon by many Democrats. Um, but they've never done that because they're no smart and I don't believe they're going to do this. So I will believe it when I see it. I mean, I think it's it's radical, certainly, from Keir Starman. It's the kind of thing that, you know, if Jeremy Corbyn had announced this policy, you know, it would have been a front page dressed up with Stalin um, <laughs> or Lenin, like some kind of radical that was it to destroy Britain. You know, and I think actually there was a story that just said, said it this week about that this is just the first step in going after the monarchy. And again, my response is, let's hope so. You know, Sir Keir gets away with things because at the end of the day, the, the establishment know that he's on their side. But then yeah. that's, that's what the thing is, so he can get away with things that Corbyn could. On the other side, though, it might not actually be radical enough to work because I don't actually believe you can do this bit by bit, you know, gradually, because no government can constrain a future government Actually, no, uh, no parliament can constrain a future parliament. That is the concept of parliamentary sovereignty. So all he's saying is that his government w- won't make appointments to the Lords and will make it law that you can't make appointments to the Lords' as government. Which, okay, yeah, I welcome that. But unless he also fully removes the Lords and replaces them with a new elected chamber, there'd be very little to stop a successive government, you know, a Tory government, from reverting that law. And just deciding, you know what, actually, we will. We will put more peers into the house. You know? So unless they actually go the full hog and give us a elected second chamber, then it's probably all for naught. Yeah, you've actually got me rereading my um, notes here to see exactly the wording they use. And you're right, there's a lot of wiggle room in there. Um, a new reformed upper chamber. But then that's kind of what exactly what New Labour said when they came in in 97. So I'd be interested to go back to the original Labour press release in this and see if they use the word abolish or is this something that the press have just kind of added on or they just got to rename it? Well, I think if I remember correctly, all it said was in the first term, which for all you know might be their only term, in the first term they would make it that no new lords could be appointed. So it could be for nothing in the end. At least it's better than the last Labour government they needed three terms to do the sort of rather, you know, meagre reforms that they eventually did put in. So maybe if we just elect them for twelve years, they might say something quite good. But again, might do something home. maybe halfway. Possibly if it's nice weather. <laughs> 
I just read something saying that abolishing the House of Lords was in the 2019 Labour Party manifesto. I don't remember that. Don't remember. Didn't get much publicity if it was. Yeah. Don't know. It's weird. So yeah. is there is there a press release that we still hold an opinion? I know. I don't understand. Oh, and then there it says it was in the 2017 manifesto as well. I don't. Maybe I don't trust Twitter. That's what that tells you. Maybe I need to look back. But no, I think in 1923 uh, was that poster. I'm going to send it to the to the chat and I'll private mail you as well because I don't think you'll see it on the phone. No, because of the no, you can't see it. Too it's too shiny. Too shiny. Unlike well, uh, this policy, because I think it's, it's I, I just think it's a deduct. It's another empty promise by Labour. Like, the guy's a sir. I don't care what <laughs> that tells you all you need to know about the guy. He's a, the Labour leader is a knight of the realm. A knight of the realm. Doesn't even do anything cool, like carry a sword or anything like that. Well, on that terrible joke, uh, I think we'll end things. Um, Cal, it was great having you. Thanks for joining us. Um, great being here. I'm sure we'll have you on again in the future at some point. Deborah, always a pleasure. And, Thanks. Um, it was lovely to see Heidi and Arwen as well. When the dogs. Coming for a cat man as well. Well, when you're looking at the movie spiel. I was just going to say, you're missing like the whole last five minutes. <laughs> you're saying goodbye already. <laughs> You can find all our podcasts at leftungag.org as well as written articles. There was a new one up today about trans rights. We have a North American-based monthly podcast, World Beat with George Collins. Uh, and you can also catch the monthly Talking Sense podcast with Captain Erin. And if you get anything you want us to talk about, you can tweet us at underscore ungagged, hashtag Hollywood ungagged. Or you can email us ungaggedleft at gmail.com, putting Hollywood ungagged in the subject line. And if you enjoyed this, please give us five stars and whatever podcast platform we use and we also have a very vibrant discord community if you're interested in joining that please get in touch through any of social media channels again deborah cal thanks again and we'll see you next week bye-bye bye say bye cal oh bye uh, <laughs> <laughs> no wait let me try that again one one thing you're using the recording <laughs> <laughs> i'm keeping this in <laughs> Nice, nice to you, smile Clean a dream cause you'll never die The stars will never overtake the sky Life has its turns and it takes a while